Let's pray. Father, we certainly do tremble as we think that Jesus Christ had to come here to earth and had to suffer and bleed and die because of our sins. Lord, if He did not come, we would all be lost in our sins and we would have to spend an eternity giving account for them. So we thank You for Jesus Christ. Help us to understand this passage of Your Holy Word. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. You know, there's nothing that hinders Christians more in their growth in grace as a misunderstanding of what Jesus did on the cross. In fact, many Christians suffer unnecessarily under gloomy fears and ongoing doubts and fading hope because of their misunderstanding of why Jesus had to die on the cross and what He did in His death upon it. Many Christians do not fully understand what Christ meant when He said, it is finished. They do not fully grasp that their sins have been completely forgiven. That they have been completely forgiven forever. And that their great debts had been paid and that full atonement has been made for them. So my aim this morning is to make these precious truths as clear as I can by the Holy Spirit's help. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit may descend upon all of us, on all our souls, and not only teach us about these glorious truths of the cross, but also seal these truths to our hearts. These truths that we are considering this morning are saving truths. These truths are all you need to know in order to be saved for eternity. So if you're here this morning and you're questioning what is salvation all about? What what can I do to be saved? How can I have a relationship with the God of the universe? Well, this passage is for you. To examine these truths, we're going to look at them from the two phrases that Christ uttered from the cross. First of all, we're going to examine what He said in verse 28 when He said, I thirst. And then we're going to look at verse 30 where He said, it is finished. So on to verse 28. I'll read verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said in order to fulfill the Scriptures... I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it out, uh, or held it up to his mouth. You know, I know something about thirst. Uh, When I played football in high school, before the school administrators began to be all concerned about these little petty concerns like uh, dehydration and heat strokes and stuff like that. We used to have these long two-a-day practices during the hottest part of the summer. All August, we would uh, have 
practice in the morning, a long two, three hour practice, and then a practice in the evening. And um, this is where we did all our conditioning. Uh, I've told you some of the things we did to get in shape. I'm not going to mention them now. But I would be so thirsty that during those morning practices, when I would find myself on the ground, which was a lot, <laughs> I, would, um, I would suck the dew off the blades of the grass. I was so thirsty. And after practice, what we would do is we'd go into the locker room and we'd take the, t- the lid of one of the coolers and we'd dump ice in it from uh, the ice cooler and then we'd pour water in it and we would sit there and this big uh, lid, I'd drink from it, pass it around, and several of us would pass it around and all of us would get these incredible headaches because we were so overheated and this cold water coming in, it just it'd kill us, but then we'd keep doing it. And then after a shower, I'd, I'd uh, drive straight to the convenience store and I'd buy myself without fail. This was part of my routine. Two Mountain Dews. One I would chug in one swig and then the other I would drink as I drove home. And then I did the same thing during the, the, um, the afternoon practices, of course, minus the dew on the grass. My birthday is August 18th. And so uh, during one of these, uh, I probably my junior, senior year, um, my parents took me out to Red Lobster to celebrate my birthday after one of these two-a-day practices. And I was so dehydrated that I kept drinking glass after glass after glass of sweet tea. And finally the waitress said, no more. She cut me off. She said, you're not getting any more till you go to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, so I know what it's like to experience thirst. But I have no idea what it must have been like for Jesus when He was on the cross. He had had no nourishment since the Passover meal. The night before, when He shared the Passover meal with His, his disciples... That was the last time we have any record of him having anything to eat or anything to drink. He had no nourishment uh, all throughout the night and into the next day. And so after the Passover meal, remember what happened? They got up. They went out to the garden. It was a two-plus mile walk um, out to the garden. And there he was so anguished in prayer that he prayed and the blood capillaries uh, burst and he began to sweat blood. And then he was arrested. He stayed up all night being, being put on trial. And then he was beaten early in the morning, like around six, five or six in the morning by the, the Roman guards. The, the flesh peeled off his back. And then after being assigned to die on the cross, Jesus had to carry His cross through the streets of Jerusalem until He was about ready to to collapse under the weight. And so Joseph of Arimathea had to come and, and carry the cross for Him. And then once He reached Golgotha, where He was crucified, they nailed Him to the cross, His hands and His feet. And then after nailing Him to the cross, they stood up the cross and dropped it in the hole, tearing His flesh 
Can you imagine what that was doing to his nerves? And so the blood loss from the, the, the spikes being driven through his hands and his feet. And then the, the torn nerves, the open and exposed nerves. Surely, um, it, caused, it caused his fever to spike. And you've been sick before. And when you're sick, when you've run in a fever, you want something to drink. There's nothing better than a good, cool glass of water. Jesus did not have that cool glass of water. Uh, not one morsel of bread, not one drop of water crossed His parched lips. Psalm 22, which is a prophecy of Christ's death on the cross, it says in verse 15, My strength was dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. A perfect picture of what Jesus was going through there on the cross. There's no moisture in His mouth whatsoever. His tongue is sticking uh, to the roof of His mouth or to the, to the sides of His mouth. He, he can't really um, generate any moisture uh, whatsoever. I would dare say none of us have experienced thirst in this degree. And it's amazing to think that Christ, who is the Creator of the oceans, Creator of the rivers and the lakes, who causes the rain to fall on the fields of the just and the unjust, He who is the King of the universe, was thirsty. Do you remember in the Old Testament where King David offhandedly said one time that he was thirsty and his mighty warriors took up their swords and they rushed into the Philistine camp and they got a, a, a cup of water right from the middle of the camp and they brought it back to David? You know, if Jesus had asked uh, for a sip of water, He had thousands upon thousands of angels ready to rush to His aid. But instead, He consented to this thirst. This shows us the true humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus, being God, needs nothing. He's self-sufficient. But He's also fully human. And so He needed water. My question is, why did He allow Himself to become so thirsty? How does that play into our salvation? How does Him allowing Himself to become so thirsty that His his tongue is sticking to the side of His mouth? What does that have to do with our redemption? He allowed Himself to get thirsty for you. He came to die that awful death on the cross for you. He came to suffer for you. He took our hell in our place. You know, in hell, there is going to be the removal of every form of comfort. In hell, there will be a constant thirst and no way to quench it. Do you remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? In Luke 16, we read that the rich man also died and was buried. 
and in Hades or in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. In hell, everything that makes existence tolerable will be removed. And everything that can make life intolerable will be poured out upon us. If you are a non-Christian, this is what awaits you. Hell, forever and ever and ever. In hell, your everlasting damnation and torment will be your everlasting portion. But it need not be so. Jesus went to the cross and He experienced extreme thirst because He experienced hell as a substitute for sinners. I don't preach enough about hell. It it runs through my mind I need to preach about it more. I really love preaching about the wonders of God's saving grace. Jesus preached about hell, so I need to as well. Hell is an objective reality. Whether you wish it to be so or not, it is the only punishment that even begins to meet the the demands of God's eternal holiness and His justice and His righteousness. It is a reality that most people who are ever born into this world will experience for all eternity. It is unspeakable. It is an unspeakable horror. It is eternal torment. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. God is a just God. Our sins must be punished. Every one of you here this morning, your sins must be held in account to the Holy God. From the youngest of you to the oldest. But that's the whole reason Jesus Christ came to earth. His punishment purchased our peace. I can hear Jesus in my mind's ear when He was hanging on the cross. He could barely speak because His tongue is sticking to His jaw. Such was His dehydration. But He whispered out, I thirst. I imagine the only person who heard Him was the Roman guard who was able, um, who was was right there uh, at the foot of the cross guarding 
um, guarding anyone from coming up to Christ. And so the guard took a branch with a sponge and he dipped it in sour wine, or we could say vinegar, and he held it up to Jesus' mouth. And this was not the wine mixed with myrrh that you've read about in other Gospel accounts uh, that he had refused earlier. the wine and the myrrh was a potion mixed together to help alleviate some of the suffering. Christ refused that because He wanted to experience the entire suffering because He wanted to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So He refused the wine and the hyssop. So this is something entirely different. This is sour wine or vinegar that they are holding up uh, for Him. And what He needed to do was He simply needed to moisten His mouth because He had one last um, uh, cry of triumph before He committed His his soul um, into His Father's keeping. And so, as the little hyssop branch was held up to Him, and he was able to get a little sour wine, a little vinegar in his mouth. It wet his, wet his mouth and now he is able to cry out. He cried out in triumph with all his strength. It is finished! These three little words that he cried out in verse 30 are really only one word in Greek. Um, to telestai is the Greek word. Spurgeon said, in this one word we have an ocean of meaning. What did Christ mean by this one cry? By crying out, it is finished. Well, First of all, it was a conqueror's cry. It was a shout of victory. Christ, while He was hanging on that cross, He was doing battle. While He was hanging there naked, dehydrated and suffering. He was winning a victory. He was engaged in war with Satan and with sin and with with hell itself. It was a terrible uh, conflict. It was a fearful battle. But Christ conquered. He won the victory. He triumphed over Satan. He removed the sting of death and He conquered hell all while He was on the cross. And so it was a victor's cry when He said, it is finished. It was also a Savior's cry because Jesus Christ came to earth to be the Savior for sinners. He came to pour out His soul unto death. Why did He have to do that? It was the only way for an eternally holy and just God to exercise mercy toward us. God poured out His holy and just wrath that was due unto us for our sins. He poured it out all upon Jesus Christ. Every sin that we have ever committed was charged to Jesus there on the cross. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. He became sin for us so that He might pay the full penalty 
for our sins. He didn't come simply to make salvation possible. He came to save us. All our sins. Our past sins, our present sins, even our future sins that we are yet to commit were paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago. And they were paid for at that moment that Jesus said, it is finished. Everything that He needed to do, that He could do on that cross, was done. That's why immediately after that, He commended His soul to the Father and died there on the cross. In Jesus Christ, justice and mercy meet. Or as people like to say, justice and mercy kissed on the cross because God's holy justice was satisfied in Jesus paying the price. And now He is able to act in mercy upon us because Christ has purchased our salvation completely. Psalm 85 says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. And that's only in Jesus Christ. So it could not happen. Those things, mercy or, or justice and mercy could not meet except for Jesus Christ paying the full penalty on our behalf. The blood of Jesus, Scripture tells us, cleanses us from all sin. There's nothing left to be charged against us. How does Romans 8 verse 1 say it? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is Christ who justifies. Who will He? Who who will condemn? Nobody, because the penalty has been fully paid. There's nothing we can do to improve upon the salvation that Jesus purchased there on the cross. All we can do is trust in Him. Are you trusting in Him? Oh, I hope you're not trusting in your own goodness. I hope you're not trusting in your parents' faith. I I hope that you're not trusting in anything you could do. Simply trust in Jesus Christ alone. Charles Spurgeon said, It is finished. There's nothing more for God to do. It is finished. There's nothing more for you to do. It is finished. You need not weep. It is finished. You need not tarry because of your unworthiness. It is finished. You need not tarry because of your helplessness. It is finished. Every stumbling block has been rolled out of the way. Every gate into heaven has been opened. All the the gates of iron have been burst apart and are open in Jesus Christ. It is finished. Salvation has been paid for completely. Christ opens His arms and welcomes sinners to Himself. Come to Him. 
Don't wait. Don't neglect. Come to Him now if you do not know Him. Just a few short applications. First of all, no matter how imperfect you are in your faith, no matter how many failures, how many flaws, how many imperfections, Christ's salvation is complete. Don't rely on or don't be discouraged by your imperfections and your flaws and your sins. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ for a complete salvation. Second, His atoning work is finished. Don't try and add to it as if you could somehow improve it. Third, um, all other things that you can trust in are groundless, baseless, worthless. Trust in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that we have a perfect Savior who has given us a perfect salvation. We thank You that in Him, because of His victory, we have life. Because of His death, we will never die. Because of His suffering our punishment, we never have to go to hell. We thank You that because of His thirst, we can have rivers of living water coursing through in, throughout us and in us by Your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for every person here who is under the sound of my voice, God, that You would draw them through the Gospel to Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.